Well, it's all about who you know, right? We've, we've heard that plenty of times. It's all about who you know. When it comes to getting a job interview or uh, getting the right business deal, or the right college reference, everybody knows it's all about who you know. Well, I don't buy it. Frankly, I, I just, I don't think that's true. I don't think it's all about who you know. Let's, let's just say, for example, let's say some guy, let's call him Matt, goes in for a job interview. And he happens to get this job interview at a fairly large company because he knows the CEO of that company. You know, maybe they went to high school together. Maybe they hit it off at some benefit two years earlier, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But Matt knows the CEO. And, and so he gets the interview. He, you know, drops his name on the, on the cover letter and is able to, to get there. And so he comes in for the interview. He's all suited up, ready to go, confident. And the interview begins... And suddenly there's an interruption as the CEO walks in to the office. Wants to come and get a good look at this guy. And I I picture him, you know, walking over and saying to Matt, have we met? Do I I know you? Because, buddy, I don't. I don't know who you are. You might might know me. You might have some memories of me. You might think you know me, have a relationship. But... I have no idea who you are. Stop dropping my name on on resumes and get out, right? It doesn't doesn't matter who you know. Who cares who you know, okay? What matters is who knows you. It's not about who you know or who you think you know. It's about who knows you. And in the passage that we just heard read, Matthew chapter 7, go ahead and turn there if you've got your Bibles. It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you're listening to this word, there's part of that, we read a larger section, but part of it in particular, where there's this whole slew of people who really, truly think they know Jesus, but Jesus has no idea who they are. Which you've you've got to kind of appreciate the irony, right, of what Jesus is doing here, because... Jesus is God. He knows everything. Jesus made those individuals, and yet he says, I, I, don't, know, I don't know who you are. I mean, that, that's how deeply sin distorts us, right? But these guys, they're not just sort of your average, you know, whatever. These, these guys, they were pros at looking like they knew Jesus. They did all the right things. And yet Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Yikes. Well, this is our our sixth week together looking at some of the most shocking statements of Jesus. And I've got to tell you, it's it's been a little challenging, right? Probably for you and and for me as we think through it. These are hard things that Jesus said to us, to we who, who long to follow him. And I can remember when I first encountered this particular passage as a high school student. I remember reading it and thinking to myself, okay, I mean, here are these guys. They call Jesus Lord. And they do all of these incredible things in Jesus' name. But Jesus doesn't know them. I mean, it quickly, you know, made me ask, okay, I, I think I know Jesus, but does he, does he know me? Truthfully, it freaked me out a little bit back then, and it still freaks me out a little bit. 
Because what Jesus says here is, is, it's shocking that this can be true. I never knew you. It's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. And for any, any one of us, I mean, you might think that you know Jesus. You go to church. Uh, your junk isn't nearly as bad as those people. Uh, you live a decent enough life. Maybe, maybe you even, you know, prayed a certain prayer when you were younger. You might think you know Jesus. You might even look a little bit like you know Jesus. But does Jesus know you? That's why Dallas Willard refers to the church in America as the number one mission field in America. Because there are countless people who sit in church who are there and they just sort of assume that they're good enough. That they're, they're okay. They're decent. Even, even maybe thinking that by the very nature of being in church, I must, I must be okay. But I don't, I don't care how long you've been in church, how often you pray, how many sins you avoid, or how long your list of good deeds. Jesus' words ought to force every one of us to ask, young and old, no matter your background, all of us, yeah, I think I know Jesus. But does Jesus know me? We all want to be known. I mean, not just to, to think we know Jesus, or just, not just to know things about Jesus, but to be in relationship with Jesus, to be known by him. We, we long for that. To be known is to be in relationship. And we long for that with the, the people around us, don't we? The people that we love most, to, to be known and, and loved, and we, we long from that, for, from the one who made us. I mean, really, if you think about it, is there any greater experience in the world than to, to know that you are known, really, truly known as you, and loved anyway. We're, we're desperate for that. We, we long for that. So if, if, that's, if that's what we long for, not just to know things about Jesus, but to know him and be known by him, how can we be confident that Jesus knows us? Well, in this text, Jesus gives us four tests. Four sort of things that we can work through together to, to discern, to some extent, evidences of whether or not he knows us. Two paths, two trees, two trusts, and two foundations. But only one of each is known by God. And again, this passage, it comes at the conclusion of the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus wants us to know, and the people that he was originally speaking to, he wants us to know that we have a choice. We always have a choice. Two paths, two trees, two trusts, two foundations. But it's, it's sort of classic Jesus, isn't it? I mean, if, if you've been in church any length of time, if you are familiar with Jesus' words, this is what he loves to do. He loves to give us two, two choices. There, there's never a middle ground with Jesus. I mean, so often the third way, the middle spot, that's what we want. That's what we're looking for. We want to get ourselves off the hook. But there's, there, Jesus never gives us a third way. It's always two. It is either his way or the highway. That's it. It's not about who you think you know. It's about who knows you. Test number one. Let's walk through these. Let's take these tests. Kids, I know it's Sunday. Um, but we all have to take tests, all right? So that's just what we're going to do. Young and old, we're going to take these tests together, four of them. Test number one is the test of two paths. 
And you've got to, you've got to picture it now, okay? So, so two roads diverge, and there you stand before them, right at the fork. And, and you know that the, the path to being known and loved is completely in front of you. But which will you pick? I mean, one of the paths is, is easy. It's wide, it's popular, it's the one that seems like the majority of people are taking. It's comfortable, it's got a lot of appeal to it. The other path, Jesus says, is really narrow, and it looks really, really hard, and frankly, it's lonely. It's not the path that a lot of people are taking. But you can only pick one, so which will it be? Verse 13, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Kind of reminds me a little bit of a hike Kelly and I took when we were first married. It was kind of our first vacation. So after one year of marriage, um, we were climbing one of the 14ers out in, in Colorado and there's this section of trail called the Narrows. Um, and it, it is very aptly named. Because the path itself that you're on, it narrows uh, to about 18 inches. And so on your, on your left, you've got the mountain. You're kind of hugging that thing. And, and on your right, you've got a, about a thousand foot drop. And that's, that's it. That's the Narrows. Uh, this was the part of the hike when I thought for sure that, you know, marriage was over. Kelly was going to, I mean, it was my idea, right? It was a bad idea uh, for us to do this. Um, but there we are. And that's the path to the summit. It's the way to get there. And Jesus is saying here, as, as we picture these, these two paths, he's saying that those who are known, those who are known by Jesus, those who are in relationship with him, take the hard, lonely path. We forget about this, though, don't we? I mean, especially in our culture, because really, for the most part, at least from our own perception of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, I mean, it just seems pretty easy to be a Christian. It doesn't seem like the hard path. And for some of us, even, we, we tend to still think that, that Christians ought to have a, a little bit of popularity, a little bit of respect, a little bit of power in our culture. And so with that, we assume that the path is going to be easy. It's going to be comfortable. It's going to be popular. Not an uphill hike, but a downhill stroll. It's not what Jesus tells us. This past Tuesday, on the cover of uh, USA Today, maybe you saw it, it was in other publications as well, uh, was a a recent study that that shows this ongoing trend um, that that there's a, a decline in those who declare themselves to be Christian, who call themselves Christians. A pretty steep decline. And the fastest growing religious group in America are what they're calling the nuns. Those who selected nun, N-O-N-E, not N-U-N, N-O-N-E, as their faith of choice. In fact, in just five years, that number grew from 15 to 20% of all Americans. And while on the one hand, this this ought to motivate us, right, to, to share our faith and to plant churches and to serve the people around us, it should motivate us in that direction, to be the church. And yet at the same time, it really shouldn't surprise us. I mean, Jesus always said it was going to be the hard, lonely path, didn't he? He told us early on that's part of what it means to be known. 
It's hard and it's lonely. But it's the path to life, fully known and fully loved. And so the, the question then, at, at this point, this test, right? Each, each test is really just one question. Which path are you on? Are you on the highway? Wide, easy, popular, or the hard, lonely trail? Jesus says one leads to destruction, the other leads to life. And so again, picture yourself standing at the crossroads, you see the two paths spreading open before you. Which will you choose? If you think you know Jesus, but as you look around on this path that, of, of your life, and, and as you do, I mean, it's, it's kind of easy. It's, it's basically comfortable. And there's, there's rarely any, any challenge in your life, at least in matters of faith. And, and certainly nothing ever confronts your, your will, your desire, your behavior, your attitude. Uh, if that describes you, or maybe even the path, it just seems really popular, right? It seems like the whole world is on the path that you're on. And there's not really any noticeable difference between you and the unbelieving people around you, coworkers or neighbors, if that describes you, maybe you're not on the path you think you are. Because those who are known, those who are in relationship with Christ, take the hard, lonely path. And just think about it. I mean, really, in many ways, it makes, it makes sense. Because if we're known and loved by God, if we're truly known and truly loved, then the hard, lonely path isn't as hard as it sometimes seems. Because we no longer need the approval of others, right? We no longer need the the popular way because God himself approves of us through Jesus. And we don't really need all the the ease and the, the comfort, the security and the satisfaction because we know that he will satisfy. So which path are you on? Pass or fail? Test number two. The test of two trees. So Jesus begins this this next section of verses. This is all connected, right? He's doing the same thing. He's giving us these continual options here. Um, But in this this second one, he he talks about, begins by by warning against false prophets. You might see that there in your text. Um, That the false prophets, those who pretend to follow Jesus, but really just promote the wide, easy, popular route. That's, that's the idea. He says, even though they may look like sheep, dress up like sheep, they are ferocious wolves. But, verse 16, listen to what he says. But you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer he's getting at there is no, of course not. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, so again, picture this. There's two trees now, two kinds of trees. There are good trees who are known by the good fruit they produce, and there are bad trees which are known by the lack of good fruit they produce. Good trees are enjoyed. Bad trees are firewood. Those who are known by Jesus bear good fruit. And they follow those who bear good fruit. I mean, that's the idea, right, of the the false prophets. 
And fruit is a common metaphor in scripture for for good works, for godly attributes. Now, it's important to, to note here, Jesus doesn't say that if you want to be known and loved by God, then you have to bear good fruit. He doesn't say that. But rather, he says, if you are known by God, essentially, through faith in Jesus, then you will bear good fruit. But it's just sort of inevitable. It's part of what it means. Good fruit doesn't make a tree healthy, but a healthy tree will bear good fruit. Similarly, doing good things doesn't make you a Christian. But if you follow Jesus, how can we not bear good fruit? It's just what healthy trees do. It's just it's part of the definition. Back when Kelly and I lived in Chicago several, several years back, um, our favorite fall tradition uh, was heading just a little bit north into Wisconsin and going apple picking. And Wisconsin produces amazing apples, I'm just telling you. I mean, we'd, we, would, we would go every year and we'd, we'd pick pounds and pounds, these huge, huge bags of apples, and we would probably each eat like a dozen while we're, while we're picking them, right? Fresh off the tree. And just take a bite. I mean, they're kind of apples that just sort of explode with juice dripping down your face. I mean, it's just, it's the way apples ought to be, right? They're, they're perfect. And because that's really the only place we'd ever gone apple picking, we just assumed that all, all apples, all fresh apples, all apple picking experiences were the same. And then we moved to Kansas. And I love living in Kansas, okay? So, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing there. But we've gone apple picking since we moved here. It's not a tradition of ours anymore. I'm just telling you. Okay, it's, it's just, it's a completely different experience. Yes, there, there's fruit, but it's not, it's not good fruit. I mean, if, if all you know of, of apple picking is Kansas or Missouri, you're just, you're missing out. And Jesus is saying here that you could tell a lot about a tree by the fruit it produces. And some trees produce good fruit and some trees produce bad fruit or no fruit, of, fruit at all. So if you're asking yourself, am I really known by Jesus? Have, have I truly embraced the gospel? Would you pass the test of two trees? What kind of tree are you? What evidence can you point, what fruit can you point to in your life? I had a professor in seminary who would regularly ask the class, say, essentially, what is it in your life? What can you point to right now and be able to say, this I do in obedience to Christ? What what can you look at in your life and say, "This, this is the way I live, this is the choices I make, simply because I follow Jesus. For no other reason, because, but that's, but that's what obedience to him looks like. What evidence in your life, is there that you can say, yes, that is fruit. That is a result of me knowing Jesus and being known by him. And if you can't point to anything, that ought to raise some really serious questions. That's what, that's what Jesus is getting at. Those who are known bear fruit. And it just makes sense. If you are fully known and loved, by your creator. That means you have been planted by God himself. He is the one watering you, fertilizing you, pruning you, cultivating you. Of course you're going to bear fruit. What else would you possibly do? And if God has taken care of all of those needs in your life, 
everything around you that we so quickly run after. If he is taking care of those needs, why would we possibly look elsewhere? What kind of tree are you? Pass or fail? Test number three. Two trusts. Really, two kinds of, of trust. And it, it gets even scarier here with this one, at least in my opinion. This is one we started off talking about at, at the beginning. Because these folks, they appear as if they're bearing good fruit. I mean, that's what it looks like. It seems as if they've got it all together. They even call Jesus Master or, or Lord. And they do amazing things, it says, in Jesus' name. Verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, meaning the judgment day, the last day, on that day, Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They prophesied. They cast out demons. They did mighty works or miracles. I mean, the kind of things that, you know, we just sort of, sort of dream about, that, that they were doing these things in Jesus' name. I mean, I mean, today it might be sort of like thinking about sort of the, you know, the, the missionaries, the evangelists, the, the, you know, really awesome pastors, you know, at, at other churches, of course. I mean, we, we kind of think it's them, or, or maybe if we just, you know, even bring it down, maybe we'll say it's, it's those who are the really, really, really good Christian boys and girls. That's who Jesus is talking about, essentially. Which is, you know, of course, how we like to think of ourselves, isn't it? We're the really good Christian boys and girls, aren't we? Look how great I am, they say to Jesus. And Jesus says back, I never knew you. How is that possible? It's possible because you can say, Lord, Lord, all you want to. But those who are known... Do the will of the Father. That's what Jesus says in verse 21, right? But, I mean, they look great though, don't they? I mean, how, how could they not be doing the will of the Father? Well, there's a lot that we could talk about with them. But at the very least, who are they trusting? Who do they trust? I mean, they, they trust all the, the good things they've done, right? That's their defense, isn't it? Why, why should God know them? Because we did all these incredible things. Because, you know, because we've been such special, good Christians. How could you not let me in, God? I've done all of this. I'm good enough. I've, I've worked harder. I, I have the right track record. I've, I've put aside sin. I've made the right choices. I've done all of these things. But the reality is if you're trusting in those things, then you're trusting in yourself. And if you're trusting in yourself, you're not trusting in Jesus. And if you're not trusting in him, you're lost. That's, that's the way it works. If, if I were to ask, if, if we were to sit down and, and talk through this, this question, you know, who do you trust and maybe we were to talk, you know, why, why should God know you? I mean, if we were to sit down, why should God know you? Why, why should he rescue you? Why should he love you? What answer would you give? Because I tithe or I 
serve or I go to church a lot or I'm faithful to my spouse or I'm a really good parent or, or all of these kinds of things, you know, because I'm just so lovable. That's, that's why. It's not good enough. I mean, no matter how awesome you are at any of those things, it's not good enough. If our answer to that question is anything but Jesus, we are lost and unknown. That's what it means to do the will of the Father. I mean, obedience, yes. And, and we talked about that with good fruit, right? Of bearing fruit. That God expects us to obey him. That's doing the will of the Father. But I love how, how Jesus says it in John 6 as well. When asked, what must we do to be doing the works of God or the will of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. Essentially, this is the work of God that you believe in Jesus, that you trust in Jesus. And it's not that doing, you know, good works is unimportant, right? We, bearing fruit, that's, we've, we've said how important that is. That's an important test, but it's got to come from a heart that trusts. Those who are known do the Father's will. And how can we not trust the only one who knows us completely and loves us anyway? I mean, who else would we trust? So who do you trust? Pass or fail? Well, one more test, and you're probably picking up on the pattern here. Two foundations. Verse 24. This is really Jesus' climax or his, his conclusion to the entire Sermon on the Mount, these past three chapters of Matthew. He ends the message, his sermon, by saying, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, that's an important part, not just hears, does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Those who are known Build upon a better foundation. If you ignore Jesus' words in your life, I mean, whether these particular words or just his words in general, if you ignore his words, you are building your life upon sand. And any architect will tell you that's a really, really bad— I mean, there's, just, there's no happy ending in that scenario. But if your life is built upon Jesus' words and obedience to him— then Jesus says flourishing will follow. Life, confidence, joy, being able to stand firm. What are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? I mean, most of us, or at least many of us, you know, if we've been in church any length of time, we'd probably quickly answer that, well, Jesus, of course. Really? What are you building your life? What's the most important thing in your life? What's the one thing in your life, if taken away, you would just almost not even want to live anymore? What, is, what are the things that you are running to for your security, to know that you're safe, to know that you're taken care of? What are the things that you run to for your satisfaction, to find happiness and joy? What are you running to to find significance, to know that you're approved, to know that you're good enough? That's the things that we're building our lives upon. And I, I, mean, I can tell you for myself, I mean, for me, 
I, I am tempted every day to build my life upon really just about anything, right? Um, my ego, uh, what I think others think of me, uh, whether or not I think I'm successful enough as an individual or good enough. I, mean, I, can, I can build my life upon food and leisure and family and money and stuff and on and on and on. I mean, the, the list is as endless as the grains of sand upon which I am building. And I've done it enough times to know it always leaves me wanting more. Always leaves me desperate for more until I begin to feel the house I've built beginning to collapse in upon itself. Those who are known build on a better foundation. Pass or fail. Okay, so four tests. Four sets of options. Four evidences, essentially, of being known, of being in a saving relationship with Jesus. And again, just just imagine being completely known. Everything about you, every bit exposed, all of the good things, all of the bad things, all that you are, and being loved anyway by the one who transforms you into the person you were always meant to be. We long for that, don't we? I, I want that. I want to know that. I want to experience that. And so where do we go from here? I mean, if we're going to take Jesus' words seriously, where do we go from here? Well, let me mention three things. First, if this passage is meant to serve as a kind of test, that means we need to take the test. Each of us. We need to answer the questions, which path are you on? What kind of tree are you? Who do you trust? And what are you building your life upon? This passage is nothing if not a warning. It is a warning to complacent people who think they're good enough, who think that they're, they're just doing fine. Everything's okay. I don't, I don't care who you are, young, old, and I'm talking to myself here too, okay? Um, I mean, you just have to think about this stuff on Sundays. I have to think about it the whole week building up to it, okay? Spending time in my office thinking, what, how, how do I fit into this test that Jesus, what is my life like? Every one of us needs to take the test. So carve out some time to examine yourself, to think through Jesus' warnings, and see where you fit. Some of us, I mean, if we're honest, breaks my heart saying this, but some of us aren't going to pass the test. Some of us, right, we, we think we're in. We think we know Jesus. We know things about Jesus. We know what, what things to say about Jesus. We know all the right words. We know even how to act in front of the right people. We know all of those things. And yet, does Jesus know you? Are you in relationship with him? I mean, Jesus is talking to us in these words. In fact, in, in many ways, he's, he's trying to shake us a little bit. To wake us up. And again, here, here, here's where we, we want the third way. Right? We, we love the middle option. I mean, with all of these, right? There, I mean, there's always these two options. But we want, we want the third option because very few of us would say, well, I'm not, I'm not really a good tree. I mean, my fruit's not amazing. Um, but I'm not a bad tree. I'm not just firewood. And I'm not really building my life upon me. What do you think? I'm some kind of narcissist. But... I'm not really building my life upon Jesus either. It's either or. 
All of these, they're, they're either or. You are either with Jesus or you are against him. There is no middle ground. He doesn't give us any other options. And if you fail the test, I mean, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't really mess around with the language he uses, right? If we fail the test, destruction, fire, rejection, collapse, these are the words he used. That's what's in store for the unknown. So if you fail a test, or to some extent, maybe more likely when we fail the test, believe the good news. Believe the good news and be changed and be rescued. And and really, again, to to some extent, all of us will fail this test because none of us do these things perfectly. None of us can look at these four things and say, yeah, I've got it mastered. I've got it down perfectly. All of us fail the test to some extent. None of us are good enough. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus passed the test for us. He knows we're bad at these things. He knows how lousy we can be, but he died and rose again for our forgiveness, for our life. He passed the test for us. And so pass, fail, right? When, When God looks at us, if we trust in Jesus, we pass. And not just, not just barely, not just a little bit. We pass with flying colors because Jesus passed the test. That's the the only way we can be rescued. No no matter how good we are at any of these things, they cannot possibly save us. Take the test. Yes, Jesus wants us to examine ourselves. That's why he says these difficult things. Take the test, but don't put your hope in the test. Put your hope in the one who passed the test for you. And truthfully, if you want to make sure that God knows you, Put all of your trust in him. All of your dependence, right? All of, all of your energy. Put it, put it on him. Give, give him your life. Commit to following him. And these other things, right, that we're talking about that are so important, these other things will follow. In so doing, we will see what it's like to be fully known and fully loved. And as fully known and fully loved, you will begin to change and we will begin to see the, the evidence of that relationship in our life when we believe the good news. Third, and finally, grow in confidence. Grow in confidence that that if you are in Christ, truly in relationship with him, then you are known. Because even though, again, our, our hope is not in these things, but yet the more we see our lives built upon the rock, the more we depend on him, the more fruit that we see in our lives gives us greater confidence that we are truly known. We grow in confidence as he continues to change us. When we we see that work in in our lives, not not the work that we do, the work that he does in us, it gives us confidence that we're known. I I love how how Paul says it in, in Romans 8. He says basically that we can know that we are known because God has given us his spirit and his spirit within us cries out that we are sons and daughters of God, somehow mysteriously confirms that we are God's children. It helps us grow in confidence. We also, we also grow in confidence in community. Because the amazing thing, one of the amazing things about the gospel is that it's not just that we are known fully and loved fully. It's that we now enter a new community, a new family of sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, that we can know one another, warts and all, and love each other anyway, because that's, that's how Jesus loves us. And when we experience that, when we see other people around us knowing our junk and loving us anyway, and when we can ex- experience that and show that to others, 
it adds all the more confirmation that, that that's the relationship that God calls us into. Because only God, only the gospel can create those kind of relationships horizontally. And it gives us confidence, assurance of our salvation. I mean, it's a beautiful thing that in Christ you are known fully, completely, utterly known. And he loves you anyway. He sees the depths of my heart and he loves me the same, as we just sang a few minutes ago. And if you know that, if you believe that to be true, that you are known and loved, if you believe it deep within, I mean, what other path would we choose? I mean, bearing fruit? I mean, that's simply the kind of tree the, the farmer planted. Of course we're going to bear fruit. And our, our trust, what else are we going to trust? Known in love, who else offers that fully and completely? Of course we're going to trust. And what else would we possibly build our lives upon that would give us anything better, any greater satisfaction? It's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. And he offers every one of us into this life-giving relationship. What are we waiting for? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, God, I am amazed at what you invite us into. Because God, I, I know how quickly I fail at these things, how quickly I look to so many other things to give me what I think I need, and yet you continue to pursue us. God, I pray that each of us here, that we would take time to, to think through these things, to examine ourselves, to take seriously the words that you give us, these options before us. Help us to examine ourselves. And God, I pray that in so doing, that you would show us where we need to change, where we need to grow, and that you would enable that to happen in our lives, and that you would also help us to to love and to see more and more the beauty of the gospel, that you continue to pursue us, that you want to know us, that you want to love us. Help us to believe. And in believing, help us to be changed. For your glory. Amen.